This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you love underground music and movies, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed shirts, vinyl, CDs, and more. Go to portlanddistro.com. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Kirsten Halfkenny. Those of you out there who knew Kirsten will know and understand how much he truly meant to me. I just wanted to take some time and express that feeling and sentiment. It's been really hard, and uh, doing the podcast and staying busy is one of the things that's going to help get me through this, and I'd like to thank everyone for your continued support and for listening. These next uh, few episodes uh, were recorded um, a few weeks ago. I'm going to take a little bit of a break, but I'll be back regrouped and ready to go. Good day, Ralph. How are you? Um, I'm tired, but feeling excellent because yesterday Ulfa played its first show in 21 months. Yeah. Wow. How, how did that go? Was it awesome? Dude, it's uh, I. It's still hard to fathom. I mean, we played the first two ropes and night shows two weeks ago. And that was already crazy because it was one of the first indoor events without masks and people were like scared at the beginning. But then like after a while, they got more comfortable and like really like while playing, you could see the people start smiling, dancing and enjoying themselves. And yesterday we played in, uh, in Nijmegen in the Netherlands, which is like two hours away from Cologne. And it's at Don Rosia, which is one of the best venues I've ever played. Um, and it was oddly enough the last night where you had to be seated in like at a concert. So like if we would have played today, it would have been like 400 people and like no seats. And yesterday it was 110 tickets sold, but with seats. But the room is incredibly dark, so we could you know, like the the advantage of just using our red lights and the fog really came into play. And dude, it was intense. Like beforehand, like all of us were tense because we haven't played in so long. And yeah. I mean, we were we were at the brink of breaking up in 2019. I was about to end that band because I didn't know like if I can continue it. But then amidst the pandemic, like all these people showed us so much love and made me rethink things. We talked everything over and we decided to go on. And then we played yesterday and people went apeshit and like we had to play an encore and made a little state like set something beforehand. People after the show came out like just came over and like, is it okay if I hug you? I really want to hug you because your music means so much to me and what you said and like the, the cathartic element of this show and people were actually like crying and like hugging. Oh, wow. It was dude. This band, like, I don't know, man. It's just like we created something truly special, I think. And people really connect with it on this emotional level, that which is the, like, the undercurrent of, of that music. That's where, where I write it from. And yesterday, like, also, I, I was teary-eyed at some point because I just saw how much this band and my music means to people. So I'm shit tired because, like, it was late. We drove home and loaded out. I was in bed at 3.30 in the morning. But like I'm, I'm feeling great today, man. It was a great feeling playing again. Yeah, that's powerful, man. That's really powerful, and uh, that, that's that's awesome. Yeah, 
man. And it's just like I was thinking about yeah, like yesterday while I was sitting backstage after the show. I was like, damn, man. I, I really wish at some point Mike could see like this band play. So like we have to really think about doing like this tombs thing happen here or like us getting over at some point like it's just yeah. like I want to I want to see you play like see me play with this band because you haven't seen us live yet. Yeah. I know man and I and I I love the music so much man and and I hey mm -hmm. we got to make it happen in 2022 even if it's you yeah. know just uh, more of like a, a, a working vacation or something like that where we all yeah. go over and just do a few dates and not a proper yes. tour or something but somehow it's got to happen I, I agree with you yeah. on that we will we will bring back unholy passion fest next year so there will be there will be like i think by the time this podcast uh, podcast airs there will be an announcement we will have like a small one with us just uh, like ultha and sun worship like the our best friends and but we want to do a real big one with four bands next year in the fall. So maybe we can finally get you there because I think that would be a great fest for you to play. Yeah. And I think by the fall of 2022, uh, we're going to be in a different place for sure, man. So I, you know, really want to make that happen for sure. You know, and I'll, I'll make that'll be a priority for us if you know once we start planning this yeah. out. You know. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. And like, uh, apart from this podcast, we'll like work on it and bring you guys over, and yeah, we'll make it happen. That's awesome, man. I I would love that. You know, it's been too long, yeah. man. It's been too long, dude. It's way too long. Yeah. yeah. But how are you doing so far, Mike? Well, you know, the last few weeks were very challenging for me, as you know, and I won't I won't go into too much detail about that. But uh, yeah, let's just say. Um, I'll liken my experiences to if you have two people that have been in each other's lives for 11 years and they both stabbed each other with a knife and it took a year and a half for that knife to be withdrawn. That's mm. essentially how I've been feeling in the last few weeks. So, uh, oh, you know, that's, uh, it is what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm a professional. I, um, you know, I get, this is what I do. I get through, I get through things like this. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, I don't know. It was, it's been good overall. Last yeah. night I went to the, uh, the dead guy killing music uh, premiere down in Philadelphia. And that was, I mean, the, the documentary was cool. And I got to, you know, I saw Keith. I think I told everyone on the episode I did with him that I was going to be going down. So it's not a surprise to hear that I made it to the show. And mm -hmm. um, it was just very, just so good to just, be out on the road again i mean philly's only like an hour from here so the drive was like you know relatively short but it was like just to be out on the highway you know and at night yeah doing doing something that involved music i love and then seeing people friends you know i saw albert from decibel and you know mike Wahlberg was there who i i was i, I don't know why i was surprised to see him because this is exactly the kind of thing he should be at you know, yeah. and you know, I saw Keith in person. I saw Andrew Gormley and uh, my buddy Robin, who has toured with Anodyne many, to many times. He was like our roadie back in the day, and um, he's also the <laughs> the proprietor of uh, Portland Distro, who's our sponsor. And um, oh man, yeah, cool. and just uh, you know, just being around people and just you know, people that recognize me from the band and stuff like that it was just was good you know it was a positive experience overall felt great to be out 
fantastic. Yeah. And tonight you're going to see Dead Guy play and Napalm Death and fucking Blood Incantation. Yes, yes. That's this is my uh, first weekend that is like a normal weekend. And actually, the ne- for the next two months, I'm doing stuff like like that are part would normally just be part of my life, and now are these like special events, you know? So today, yeah. today is the Decibel Metal and Beer Fest, and um, prior to that, there's like a get together with uh, Season of Mist like in the in the afternoon, and um, you know, so I'll see all the uh, people from season of season of mist in the States that I'm friends with. And, you know, me and me and my, me and uh, my bass player and some other people are getting together, going to the show tonight. And it's just going to be good, man. It's just going to be positive. That's... Good, good release. You know, after all this time, just spending by myself, you know, it's been good. Yeah. That's great, man. I mean, that's the feeling that I got from the ropes shows and also the ultra show now by like people really embracing that it's like getting back in a way to a new normal, but like you don't have to be shit scared all the time. And I mean, there's still too many idiots that like still like don't want to get vaccinated or act like complete assholes. Um, but like you have these small secure spaces like these shows and I'm sure you will have a blast tonight. Like this, the lineup is killer. And I mean, there's like, I, I already know like a bunch of people that I know are there, but you'll probably know even more. So it will be a good hang, I guess. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dave Witty, he'll be there. You know, Municipal Waste is playing. Um, oh, right. Yeah. You know, Dave's like, I haven't seen him and I don't even know the last time I saw Dave, but we, we've been texting and, um, yeah, I mean, it was cool. Like, you know, they checked. You had to be vaccinated to go into the event last night. And the same thing with today. You have to show your vax card and your ID. And uh, yeah. masking was optional. And um, I kind of played it like I play it at Whole Foods. Like, I, um, mm. you know, I'm vaccinated. If I go someplace and no one's wearing a mask, I don't put, I, I don't put a mask on. If some, yeah. some people are wearing a mask, I might put, I'll probably put it on at least part of the way. And uh, last night it was uh, predominantly masked, so I kind of had it on. Then I took it off, and I kind of had it on. So I mean, you know, I, I like read read the room, and I see what the deal is, and I just kind of follow yeah. along, you know. Yeah. yeah, same here. I'll do the same. Like it's like we have all these rules. Like if you go, like I've been to cinema, and like you know, like I told you, I saw Dune. And you have to, like, if you're in line, you have to wear a mask. And when you get, like, your snacks or something. But when you're seated at your at your place, like, you can take the mask off. And they have two seats apart. Like, they're always, like, reserved that you can't book them. So you're not sitting, like, next to strangers. And I feel good with that. I mean, you have to show also proof of vaccination or tests. So, um, or if you, like, recovered... But like it's, I think the system is working, and I do the same thing. When I see like everybody's wearing a mask, I'll keep my mask on too. But like yesterday at that show, I mean the Dutch, they I've been to a show in the Netherlands in summer, and they already there they didn't wear masks, but like I kept my mask on because I just felt kind of weird. Yeah. Um. But yesterday I was like, yo, so like they check it, and it should be good, and I'm. I feel more comfortable like going out and like I'm, I'm not a party dude, but like going to a show and not wearing a mask indoors. Yeah, like you said, like if I have to, like if I feel like the mask is in place, I'll wear my mask probably. 
Yeah, you know, I, I thought about wearing my Kid Rock shirt last night with an American flag hat and being like, fuck you guys, cool. I'm not wearing a mask, fuck you, uh, I'm not going to show you my vaccination card. Like, I thought about doing that, but I felt that might have been too extreme. You know what I'm saying? Well, dude, you're an American. It's your it's your right. You could, you could have also carried a gun, you know? Yeah, Shoot oh, actually, yeah, that's right. I was going to carry a sidearm with me though, while I went in, or, you know, but I, I thought yeah. that might have been too much for everyone, you know? Yeah, but but like when when when's your like uh, Mike Hills guy to being a cis white toxic male uh, <laughs> NSBM this like, disputable horror movie enthusiast uh, guideline book is that out sometimes? Well, soon? you know, it, I I actually have been accused of being a toxic male, um, well, in the recent weeks, and uh, you know I don't necessarily agree with that, but I can understand how someone might miscategorize uh, me as that, so. You know, I I, I let that shit roll off me, man. It's all good. We all know that you're a difficult person to work with. So (laughs) just, 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 uh, just fits very well. You know, real quick, uh, you mentioned Nijmegen in uh, the Netherlands. And uh, I believe that's where I discovered the uh, Dutch phenomenon of Svart Piet in, uh, (laughs) in Europe one year. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's a weird, weird thing man but dutch people are weird people i love them they're super nice but they're weird people yeah they have their peculiar ideas at times yeah but they're but like their venues are so badass so like this this nijmegen venue that we played we, we uh there's a festival called soul crusher festival and we played the release show for an extricable wandering there at the festival in 2019 and the same evening, uh, Def Heaven played as a headliner, and they were on the road with Inter Armour, and like they're friends of ours and friends of yours too. And like they had Inter like, Armour, this... Inter Armour are friends of mine, not Def Heaven. Yeah, just, yeah. To <laughs> just to keep that straight, you know what I mean? <laughs> wow, well, well, okay. Sorry, sorry for getting this mixed up. Uh, I mean, we, we we've both played whole Roadburn, and we know what kind of an operation the Oath of the Thirteen venue is. Yeah. But th- like I've like there's something yesterday like I've I've seen it before it's just astounding like so they have this hangar where you can drive in I mean we just had like a Ford Transit van so it's like easy but like you can go in there with like a tour bus load out and they have this crane picking you up flipping you in the air turning the van around so you can drive out without like putting the rear in so it's so crazy to build something like this where just like a full-on tour bus gets lifted up turned 130 degrees and then gets set back down so you can just drive out straight ahead it's it's so crazy yeah yeah roadburn's <laughs> a lot of fun man i i uh someday i would like to go there just as a spectator you know as an audience member and hang out and check it and just do the whole thing without worrying about playing or doing press or anything like that dude like from what i heard yesterday there was a, like a friend of mine who runs a label and he's good friends with walter and from what i heard roadburn next year is happening and Ulta will go on tour the week after roadburn so maybe we could come around we go to roadburn and then you tag along for two or three shows on that Ulta tour or something like that you know that might be awesome that's uh you know but I, I haven't, you know, it's funny, man. I like that idea. And the, tr- the idea of traveling until, until very recently, it's been this like weird illusion, you know, of like, yeah, I yeah. want to do this, but how, like, 
should I make plans? I don't know, you know, because like we made plans to tour in the States here in November and that got canceled or postponed rather. And so now I, I mean, yeah, you can, people fly now. So fuck it. I should, I should just do this, man. It's also like, yeah. Who's who's playing Roadburn next year? Oh, there's, it hasn't been announced yet. So like, it's weird, but I think Walter is playing it safe. So from what I understand, like he's booking all these bands. And, like, if it's safe to say, like, Roadburn will actually happen, then I guess he will post it. Otherwise, he will just, like, not. Oh, right. Because last year, I mean, last year they, like, they had the, this, this streaming event he, they did or this year. Um, and I think, like, it looks like it's possible next year to have it, like, in an almost full capacity. But I, the, knowing Walter a bit, it's like, I guess he's playing it safe and, sure. like, waiting to the last minute to announce it. So I'm, I'm curious who will play, but, like... With Roadburn, it's like, I mean, there will be at least, like, three bands every day that are, like, at least enjoyable. And, like, some yeah. bands that you just see and think, like, wow, that's awesome. And I guess, like, if he comes, like, if Roadburn, if Becky and Walter, like, they're coming back and they just, like, do it, I think they will go, like, full on and it will be a great lineup, I guess. Yeah, yeah I, I need to do stuff like that, man. And, um, uh, you know, playing it was... a pleasure man it was so cool playing that you know we, we yeah. did it twice man and it was fucking great man and i'd love yeah. to go back and do that again but i also would love to go and just take it in as a as an audience member and you know just not have all that stress of doing these festivals on me either you know yeah right and yeah i mean let's see well maybe we can work it out and you'll come here and we'll do it well i think i made this statement that once things return to normal, that I was uh, gonna just, you know, do everything instead of uh, finding reasons not to do stuff, which is which was like my sort of pre-pandemic lifestyle, where it's like, well, I'm too busy, yeah. I can't do this, I, you know, I'm tired, I can't go out to this show or whatever. It's like, hey man, I'm putting a plan together and I'm gonna fucking execute it, and that's gonna be the way I'm gonna live my life from now on. So there you go. Right. And also, like same here. Um, what from what I heard, Biden is lifting the travel bans for Europeans. So I don't know if it's like October or November, but I think it's it's close by that I could actually like enter a plane and fly out to the states. And like once this is actually confirmed, we will talk about me visiting you. In Hell New yeah! Jersey. Hell yeah, man! Yeah. I mean, there's you know Newark Airport's a half an hour away. I live like yeah. a human being, unlike how I used to live in Brooklyn. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I have space, like, you know. I have like, yeah. you know, everything's close by, which is nice, you know. All right, we'll make it happen, dude. I'm I'm so looking forward to hanging out with you in real life again. It's been I don't know, like we talked about it five years, six years. I, I don't even want to. It makes me depressed to think about that. <laughs> I I don't want to think about. I want to think about the future, man. That's what I want to take in now. Yeah. So, like, if we wanted, like, we talk about the future, let's talk about past music, which is still the future of rock music. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, today's episode is actually uh, pretty fucking cool, man. I, you know, I'm glad you came up with this idea. And I yes. was like, man, what a, what a great idea. <clears throat> because yeah. Minneapolis used to be, at one point in, the, in musical, the history of uh, alternative music, for lack of a better term, was kind of like a, a center, similar to the way Seattle was and Chicago and all that sort of stuff. But it all, oftentimes gets overlooked. Yeah, it, and it's, it's like the predecessor to all that happens in Seattle because these guys were there before that. And they 
like you said, they paved the way for all this thing called alternative rock. Yeah. Well, there's a direct line between the two bands I think we're going to focus on. There's a direct yeah. line between them and Nirvana, if you ask me. Yeah, and also, like, the, the cool thing is, because I want to talk about, like, where did we find out about these bands heard from the first time? There's a direct line from, like, where I first heard the one band and also connection to you and me, because uh, the one band I discovered on that American tour, like, Planks and, and, and Tombs did together. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. But let me let me ask you something before we start, because I have never been in Minneapolis. And I mean, I came up with this idea because I read that book about those bands. Yep. Can you like for I mean, there's a bunch of people from Europe listening and like from Germany, friends of mine. And I assume Minneapolis is not the city that like typical German tourists go to when they fly <laughs> to the States. <laughs> And I'm, I'm sure you've, you've been there or you played there. What's Minneapolis like? What do I have to like? What is, what is it? Is it like Chicago? Is it dangerous? Is it like a regular city? Or All right. You want to know about Minneapolis? I'll tell, tell you about Minneapolis. Okay. All right. I, um, you know, go, going with the theme of heartbreak <laughs> that we started out <laughs> like earlier on, um, my, one of the loves of my life when I was a young man I met in college and she was from Minneapolis, St. Paul area, you know, and those two cities are like so close. It's almost like how in New York, there's like boroughs, Minneapolis mm -hmm. and St. Paul are like right next to each other. They're basically one big city, you know? And, um, my first experience with Minneapolis was, uh, you know, once things were getting serious with this lady, uh, I flew out there to meet her parents. Okay, mm. it's the summertime, um, and it's like very, let's say, Midwestern. It's, um, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's dangerous. It's a fairly, uh, you know, like, like it's kind of boring, I guess, for lack of a better term. There's like um, these like suburban kind of industrial places i guess that that's like a lot of the landscape and then there's like a downtown area where like nothing goes on on the weekends and at night it's all businesses you know and mm -hmm. going down through this area one of the things i i thought was interesting is that there's these overhead passageways that connect a lot of the city a lot of the, a lot of the uh, buildings so mm -hmm. i was like oh what's this all about you know and i mean i was only like 19 at the time and i hadn't i'm not wasn't very worldly not like i am now you know i wasn't a world traveler mm -hmm. like i am now and <laughs> so she says, oh, it gets, she's like, oh, it gets really cold out here in the wintertime, you know, this like Midwestern accent, you know, and um, I'm like, ah, oh, it gets, it's cold. So anyway, that was my first experience there. We went to this summer festival, like some kind of like dairy is really big. A lot of the people, mm -hmm. a lot of the Europeans that settled that area were Scandinavians. So everyone has this kind of Scandinavian, like blonde, blue-eyed, block-headed, big people, you know, like white people kind of look, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, dairy's really big. I remember dairy and farm equipment being huge at this festival. Milk, cheese, okay. like all this stuff. So that was my first time there. And then, of course, a few years after that, uh, when I descended into uh, the punk rock, hardcore metal world, I was on tour, and um, I, we played in Minneapolis, and it was, uh, 
it, it kind of reminded me of of like a Chicago like vibe a little bit, you know. And, and any of you guys out there who live in these cities, you probably think I'm completely off base, but that's these are my impressions, you know. I mean, this is my my impression of the place, like a mid midwestern yeah. city, um, yeah. kind of like working class, you know, like mm-hmm. as opposed to like a coastal city like New York or L.A. where yeah. there's, you know, there's um industry being different you know like they in in like the say new york the industries that that uh that push that city forward are more uh, abstract like finance and you know advertising and shit like that and i think like in the midwest the kind of industry that pushes things forward is more uh tactile like uh manufacturing and you know that kind of thing you know engineering like stuff like that so yeah that's my impression of the city um I, I can imagine being very bored there all the time. Um, mm. Of course, there are venues. You know, there's like the famous 7th Street entry, which, you know, these Husker do and the replacements, like, you know, played at places like that. Um, mm. You know, Prince, obviously, is from uh, Minneapolis. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's my impressions of the place. Dude, but that's, like, cool. Like, I mean, because it's, uh, I mean, um, the idea for this podcast came when I read Trouble Boys, yeah. so the bi- biography of The Replacements, which is, to be honest, one of the best musical biographies I've ever read. I, I, I'm sure you have read it too. Oh, I'm looking at it right now as we, as we speak. I see it yeah. on my bookshelf. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's just such a weird story. And it's like this band was born from boredom and like having nothing to do in a shit town with no, no, not many options. And that's what I like read about who's could do as well. And it's funny, you mentioned like Minneapolis and St. Paul being like like the boroughs in New York and we've got the replacements from Minneapolis and we got uh Who's Could Do from St. Paul. And oddly enough, the name Who's Could Do is like a Danish Norwegian term for do you remember, which is again Scandinavian, which fits the um St. Paul vibe. Yeah. So it's all connected. So thanks for the introduction to that city, Mike. Yeah, and also let's let's not forget that in the '90s, one of the most, uh, in in my opinion, one of the most influential underground record labels emerged from Minneapolis, and that's Amphetamine Reptile. Uh, Correct. You know, yeah. Tom Hazelmeyer kind of uh, really really put a a spike into you know extreme music, I guess, for lack of a better term. Like he really made made a uh, a standard for what could be possible with uh guy i always thought it was like like guys who were too old to be punks you know or something like that you know and like like they kind of <laughs> yeah. grew out of like punk and hardcore and moved into this other realm like bands like you know like the jesus lizard and you know they they weren't actually on amrap but you know unsane uh you know lubricated goat helmet the cows, cows. you know all yeah. those great bands um i think I think that is also significant about Minneapolis, but we're not we're not going to go into the '90s too much. We're going to stay in the sort yeah. of seminal world of uh, the replacements yes. and who's could do. Right. Yeah. So, like, um, when I when I came like I came across this idea like reading this book, and I think like to quote myself, I think the replacements are the unsung heroes of American rock and roll. And they're like so undervalued and underappreciated, which is like kind of their own fault. Because when you read that book, you know, they're the most dysfunctional band ever. 
but they're so good at what they did and there's so many great albums and songs and I mean Huskadu at least gets the reputation from the alternative scene and also from the emo punk scene I mean there wouldn't have would have been a, a hot water music if it hadn't been for Huskadu and yeah one sorry go ahead no, no, I was gonna say that a hundred percent um you know and and also Bob Mould I think his his career in some ways eclipsed um, Paul Westerberg's post replacements career too. Yes, you know, totally. and like he had Sugar, and then he made all these great solo records. And I think yeah. that he's more in the conversation of alternative music as being a um, you know a, a higher profile like agent within that scene. Yeah, and both both these bands. That's funny. Like when I when I thought about like okay, what do we need to cover like. On within this podcast about these two bands it's like they're both were placed within a scene they didn't want to be part of and they kind of played around that like with the with the general like aesthetics musically from that scene and then completely went away from it and completed something unique of their own and they're both at some point i mean with uh with a replacement Stink EP and also like the early days of Who's Could You, they were clearly like in this hardcore punk realm and both of them didn't actually want to be in there. But like coming through this, like Who's Could You got asked to tour with Black Flag, which uh, made them like meet Greg Ginn and then being signed to SST Records. Yeah. I think SST at that juncture in the 80s was probably the perfect label for them just because they... You know, Greg Ginn curated a uh, a pretty diverse roster of bands on SST. Like, SST wasn't like, you know, like you would never have like negative approach on SST. You would never have like the Chromags or something like that on SST. Yeah. It would be yeah. these weird left of center bands like Black Flag, St. Vitus, you know, the, the, the Descendants, yeah. Minutemen, yeah. and Husker Du. And none of those bands sound anything alike, really. Yeah, but all these people are like-minded in a way because yes. they're open, they love their music, they know what they're doing, and they're not like stubborn assholes. It's like, this is the only music I want to. And this is what always resonated with me, with especially like with SST, but also with Twin Tone, like that label that the replacements were on. Right. It's just like this, when I, like, if you could book your own festival, like, if you could say, like, okay, I can have, like, five bands that I could just book that are active, I assume you, as much as I, wouldn't book five black metal bands back-to-back. -back. No, no, I wouldn't. And, and it's also, like, if I guess if Tombs goes out and you were asked to play a fest and it would be five black metal bands or it would be, like, a noise rock band, it would be... Like, I don't know, like Bambara place and um, I don't know, like a complete like 1349 tombs, but also like a post-punk band. And I think it would work. And I would rather play a festival like this than like a straight up black metal festival. And it's also I appreciate labels that dare to have different stuff. And I mean, some labels developed like this. I mean, if you look at the early Revelation catalog of Victory Records, it was pretty much the same. But later it got diversified. But the connection with the people that like were behind the bands, and that's what SST was always for me. And like a band like Who's Could You thrived through that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and um, you know, one one of the things about those bands is they had the diverse. They brought in diverse elements, you know, into the yeah. actual music. And I think 
you know, I mean, if you let's think back to the other contemporary bands that were great, but were very much just like one one note, you know, like Minor Threat, you know, Negative Approach. Yeah. It's like great yeah. bands. I love them. Debatably, Minor Threat is the only band Stephen uh, Ian Mackay ever did that I like, actually. <laughs> and uh, oh wow, okay. yeah, I mean, I, I I don't I don't I like the first Fugazi record, but uh, the feel good vibe of Fugazi and the Discord scene isn't that was yeah. never my thing really. Like it was too. It just wasn't the world I lived in to be like all like friendly and positive and, you know, we're into like, you know, whatever, like kindness and, you know, <laughs> like that's never been my thing, man. I just, I, I <coughs> toxic white man speaking. Yeah. You know, it's like the, the caring aspects of the DC scene were like, I yeah, just never yeah. related to that but anyway. But early on with both bands, they were very, very punk and very extreme and Husker do played real, like very fast, aggressive, noisy chaos. But as you can tell, they were into other things and that stuff ended up melding with that music and then becoming a very unique individual style and sound, you know, and with, with respect to, um, to replacements, you know, I, um, I always felt like Paul Westerberg was like a punk rock, Charles Bukowski in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, like his own worst enemy, uh, alcoholic, dysfunctional, border, possibly mentally ill, you know, like that. Yeah. I mean, I got all that from the Trouble Boys book too, you know. Yeah. And, and, totally. uh, and it just makes for an interesting story. And the fact that you know, Bob Mould was gay and Grant Hart was gay and they were playing in this like high testosterone scene, you know, and, and, yeah. um, it just makes the story like really interesting. And then the two contrasts between the band is like Husker Du, very focused, very, um, you know, just like, like disciplined with their approach to the music and uh, replacements, chaos. The complete opposite. Total mess. <laughs> yeah, but, you know what I mean? Um, I, as I said, like, I, I thought about like when I listened to the, the, the GGL episode of you and Randy like a couple of weeks back. I was thinking, like, I mean, this guy was literally insane, and yeah. he put out so much stuff, and the replacements were kind of like that, and they're, like, equally as dysfunctional, but, like, not, like, through, I mean, of course, they, they threw stuff in the audience, and, like, at some point, probably also excrement stuff, but they're, like, kind of, like, the GGL of, like, more rock and roll, in a way. It's, like, maybe maybe looking better or something. I don't know. But, like, they have the same dangerous vibe around them. Like, from the, like, from what I read in the book is, like, one guy said, I think it was um, Peter Jesperson, like, the, the guy that got the demo and brought them to Twin Town Records, was a manager for a long time. They said, like, Replacements was the band, the best band you could see but, or the worst band you could ever see. It depended, honestly, on like how the day went. So you could see them like 10 times, and it could be hit or miss with them. Yeah, yeah and, and my impressions of a Husker Du is that they were always, I mean, obviously bands have bad shows here and there, but they were like consistently yeah. awesome yeah. live. I mean, I ne- I've actually never seen Husker Du, so I can't say that in, in, with any confidence, really. But my impressions, at least, and what I've read is that Despite having a bad day, they still would go out and destroy. So that's, you know, my yeah. feeling about them at least. Have you seen the replacements? You know what? I did, but it wasn't the lineup with Bob Stinson though. 
Okay, yeah. It, it was I mean, like he the, was uh, out. Yeah, he, yeah with yeah. with a slim slim Dunlop. Yeah, slim Dunlop. It was. It wasn't even yeah. the. Um, it was the the tour uh, for the uh, All Shook Down record. Oh, so right at the end, like around the time where they toured with Tom Petty and messed that up too. Yeah, it was like they were they were headlining, and it was like. I, I missed I missed the real version of the band. You know, I was just yeah. like, you know, a little bit before my time, I guess, you know. Yeah. I mean there's um I, I've gotta say like when I when I, if I I don't wanna like pick sides here, but like I definitely come more from the replacements angle. Like they're like they're more dearer to my heart than Huskadua, even though I love Huskadu. And they're like also bands like the the replacement just they released there was like um a remix version of the don't tell a soul record it's called dead man's pop with the like with the actual studio versions they wanted to release and the label said they didn't so oh, they wow. had to re-record it and it's just like way raw way more raw and more punk and now like there was an like for record store day there was a version of uh, please to meet me also with alternative versions and I, I buy shit like this from the replacements. And there was like for the last record story last year, there was a, um, a live record, a three LP live version, and it cost me 50 euros for a live record. But it was around the time where they were on the, the Please to Meet Me, uh, no, on the Don't Tell a Soul tour, where they were like an actual pop band, but they play like all the old stuff too. So like it's, it's, really fast and aggressive and all these pop songs have like this this dangerous vibe to it and there's like a there's like a live record from the first like the, the, oh my god i forgot how this is but it's like from the second tour so they did and they were just such a fucking good live band when they were on point but then like in the book it says like you could like go to a show and they would play like 25 blues medley covers and yeah. I, that would oh god atrocious i didn't want to see that man <laughs> Yeah, I um, yeah, I I think that I I don't. All right, let's put it this way. It's funny to think about it this way. Like I prefer the music of the replacements to Husker Du. I love mm -hmm. I love both bands, by the way. And but I feel like the elements of Husker Du have reached more into my own creative output than the replacements. Same here. You know, totally. That's not agree. to say I've yeah. ever been in a band that sounded like Husker Du, but like, there's like certain things that they do, like especially the the fast material that they have. And I'm like, in, in my mind, I'm when I'm writing music, sometimes I'm thinking of that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, and it kind of maybe the spirit of it enters what I do a little bit more. And the replacements, hundred percent, that music does not ever really enter my mind when I'm writing music, but. On an emotional level, you know, I respond to their earlier everything up till "Please to Meet Me." I think is amazing, wow. and and it, it's such a like, you know, you're like emotionally devastating lyrics, and you know, it's the kind of music you listen to, and you're like sitting in the dark and just laying on the floor, and you're like, oh my god, this is like such heartrending like storytelling and and all that sort of stuff and i that that's the, what i go to the replacements for you know yeah. or you know when you meet a girl and you want you want her to think you're sensitive and you say oh yeah i like <laughs> i like hoot nanny by you know tim by the replacements is my favorite record you know and you tell some lady that and they think that you're a good guy and oh look how sensitive he is he must be a great listener you know that kind of thing yeah 
Yeah, well, but if you say like Paul Westerberg is my no Bob Stinson is my spirit animal, then she should probably like pack her stuff and run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's like I, I think like <clears throat> now with Ropes of Night, I finally have a band where I can like have influences by the those bands. And of course, we don't sound like Who's Could You, and we don't sound like the Replacements. But I gotta say, one of the first songs we ever like fucked with in like making it a cover version was my favorite replacement songs of all time, The Ledge from oh, yeah. uh, from Please to Meet Me, which is also the saddest song. But it has this like four to the floor, like drum beat and the picking guitars. And the, actually, this song was kind of like the 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 one of the songs that I gave to Andy, who recorded uh, the Ropes of Night record, where I said like, I want to have these twangy, almost clean guitars, but like cool bass sound and the bass and the kick are like, we're doing like the actual thickness of the production is comes from the drums and the bass, and. Um, yeah, man, I, I can't I can't play like these guys. I mean, they were like the kids that didn't have nothing to do. They sat around and played guitar the whole day. And I'm like an okay guitar player. I have my own style. But like trying to play replacement songs, I would have really to like practice for weeks. And um, but like the general idea of how these bands work and both these bands have like what they can do. And it's what I love about this type of music is the harmony aspects of how the guitars and the vocals work together. And that's what I draw from, from uh, for Ropes of Night now. That's interesting, man. I, I, wouldn't, I actually wouldn't have guessed that, honestly. But it's cool that yeah. you mentioned that. And um, yeah, you know, just a quick aside about the name, the game, Husker Du. I, um, mm -hmm. When I was living in Boston, like, you know, back in the 90s, I, uh, I was wandering around and I went to this, um, this mall well, actually, it's not much of a mall. It's called the Arsenal Mall. There was like a couple of stores in it. It was kind of a sad, pathetic, like, shopping area, I guess, in Watertown. And uh, I went into a Caldor's, uh, like, department store and just walking around by myself in this department <laughs> store. And I ended up in, like, the games section of uh, the, you know, the toy department, right? Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, I saw the Husker Du game. And oh, cool. It was like, who's your do? And under it, it says, do you remember? <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's how it must be where they got their name. And that was before I even yeah. discovered all this stuff. That's cool. And it's cool that I think I still think it's funny that they used like the umlaut dots like above the, of the above the vowels above the use just like to, as a reference to like that they like metal and motorhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And that's the cool thing about both these bands. I mean, look at the catalog of cover versions that, like, or like replacements did, and also like who's could do covered stuff, and the bands that actually ended up covering those two bands are like from metal to punk to grunge to pop, and the the most insane thing is like that actually Prince was a replacements fan too. I mean, I'm not, Paul I'm not surprised. Versus, I'm not surprised yeah. by that. You know, Prince seemed like a guy who just pulled everything in, man. You know, I, yeah. I I imagine he probably did like those bands. Yeah, he actually went to shows. That's what, as I, I read, like, after I read the book, I went through some uh, YouTube videos about the replacements. And there was one about, like, also Minneapolis. And then, like, of course, that Paul Westerberg was a fan of Prince. But that actually, like, they played a show. And it was thankfully a show where they were, say, they said, like, we were good tonight because the alcohol and drugs weren't that much we had. Um <laughs> 
And that was the show that Prince came out to see them, like all dressed up in disguise, so like no one would recognize him. <laughs> and he must have come up to to like Paul Westerberg afterwards, like, "Hey man, cool set, love your band," and left. And Paul Westerberg must have been like, "I think that was Prince." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's only like four feet tall too. So, or he was yeah. was only four feet tall. Yeah. And isn't isn't the prince like isn't prince like just as a side note isn't prince like one of the most fascinating like musicians of all time? I, I love Prince. Even even back when I was a kid, when all his like you know uh, Raspberry Beret and, and yeah man, you know that stuff. It just you cannot. It's such a. I mean, if you any, I don't care who you are, and you hear that song, and or even Purple Rain, like that anthem. Yeah. And you you don't get an emotional reaction from that. You're fucking dead inside, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. like you you might as well just become like a fucking mannequin or something. You know, that's like yeah. you can't help but react to his music. And I've I've always been a big fan of his. And even these yeah. like weird like you know like in the last few years, all these like stuff from his vault have, has starting to be released. Oh like, man, even yeah. that stuff's interesting to me. You know. Dude, I like him. Prince '86, a microphone and a piano. That that album that came out two years ago or three years ago, unbelievable, man. Just demo recordings of him with a piano, unbelievable. And like for me, like more like going back to the classic rock thing. First off, when people ask like who's the greatest musician of all time, and people say Michael Jackson, I want to punch their face because. Michael Jackson's awesome. I like like old Michael Jackson stuff, but Quincy Jones wrote that shit. He was a good at what he did, but Prince was the real deal. He played every fucking instrument. He completely self-recorded some of these fantastic albums, and he could just go on. He has such a high output. And then, like, as if he isn't the coolest person ever, there's a video of him. Like, it, I don't know what it was, but it was like an all-star cast on stage with Tom Petty, Ringo Starr and like a bunch of these rock dudes and they play Why My Guitar Gently Weeps. It's on YouTube. I don't know if you've oh, seen it. Oh, wow. It. I got to see that. I'm, I haven't seen it. Dude, I, I will send you the link after this and you will watch it and you will like be like, okay, amen, brother. It's like they play this song and there's like all this talent. It's almost like the traveling Wolverines times 10 with like with all the person, like even the bongo players, like a gigantic star in the music scene. <laughs> they play... They're all badass. Tom, Tom Petty is singing. And they're all like, there are like four guitar players on stage plus two with an acoustic guitar. They all play like, and then in the end, Prince steps from the side of the stage, comes on in like a, like in, in, in a suit with a purple hat on, like plays this Telecaster and plays the most shredding guitar solo I've ever seen. Plays it at some point, turns around, Let's himself, it looks like he lets himself fall into the audience, but there's this like six foot ten gigantic black security <laughs> dude that just like catches him, push, pushes him back on stage. He keeps on shredding, like they're all play their stick. He's he's done. Then he just like tosses the guitar in the air, leaves stage, and the roadie catches the guitar. Everybody's still on stage. Juice Prince just leaves. Yeah. It's like he's the he's the coolest of all time. Fucking badass, totally badass, man. <laughs> man. Yeah, I've always, like yeah. I said, I've always been a big fan. Like, I, I own most of those early records and, you know, like even, oh. even like uh, the pre, like before he got very, very uh, flamboyant, like he had that uh, Time record, I think. Yeah. That's, that's the great shit, man. That's all good stuff from back then. I can't remember the name of the album that song is on, but yeah, it's all, it's all good. 
Mike, do you think? Do you think? Excuse me. Do you think we would blow the minds of of like the audience of everything went black? It's like where we always talk about dark wave and horror movies, all the shit. If we do a Prince episode, I think I don't think so. You know why, man? Because like I, I think most anyone out there who's been like following like tombs or any of the stuff I've written out there knows that I love. That's a music that some people would be embarrassed to say they like, as far as like, I'm not embarrassed to say I like Flock of Seagulls and stuff like that, you know? And uh. I, I think that if people can accept that, uh, they will accept that, uh, a Prince episode, which I think we should do. Yep. I think that's a great, there you go. Right. That's a great idea. Uh, all right. Yeah. So let, let's, let me ask you a question. Yeah. So you were saying that, um, I, I don't know if I was aware of this, that you did, you were introduced to the replacements on the tour that we did together. Correct, man. Really? So, so like, at what point first, did, uh, at what point did, did you discover that? I don't, I don't recall exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, um, first off, the first time I ever heard anything from that, and I want to hear where you got, like where you got introduced to, to these two bands too. The first thing I ever heard from this was the single soundtrack where there was a song from, uh, from Paul Westerberg on that. I mean, I got it for like Wood of Alice in Chains and there was like a Chris Cornell song, also like Pearl Jam songs I like, but it had like this, this Paul Westerberg song. So I, that's where I knew the voice from. And I knew like he was in a band called The Replacements. And I, it's one of these bands that I knew bands that I like, liked them. Like sort of like when we talked about with buying death metal records, looking at the thanks list and the t-shirts they wore. And you got like more stuff from that or like the hardcore scene was the same thing. I know that like I love bands that like the replacements. And for example, Green Day, like when I liked Green Day when they came out, like before Dookie, like in 92 with Kerplunk, like Billy Joe Armstrong mentioned in an interview I read that it's like, it was like, I he, he they covered um, Alex, Stitt, no, no, um, Alex Chilton. Yeah. Like one of the, one of the first songs and they later on, played it together with Paul Westerberg. And so I knew the name. And then we played that last minute show because remember that tour was booked, Tombs Planks US tour. And then you got asked to do that enslaved tour, I think. Oh God, yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. that whole and, debacle, yeah. Yeah, and then I think there was three shows that had to be canceled because of the radius thing. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then the enslaved yeah. tour got canceled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And um, one show, which ended up being my, like, probably one of my favorite evenings of that tour, was we played in normal Illinois. We played at Fire, fire Hose Pizza guys, Place. I, oh, my God, man. You always, go, you always talk about that show. It's so funny, man. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, it's like it's it's the weirdest thing. Like it's like okay, it's like Frank Benny. You know you know how Germans like how German sh or European shows work. You would never play a pizza place. No, you have like these you have like squats here. You don't have that in the way we have. But like you play sh like squats, AZs, or like these youth centers or shit like that, or like actual venues. But no, I mean from America, I know you play basement shows, you play house shows, and you play like. We played in like that tour. We played with Bastard Sapling and Triac at this pool hall that Dave Woody set up in Richmond, I think it was. Yeah. And then some days later, it's like, okay, so we played a pool hall now, and now we're playing a pizza place. And so I, at first I thought, like, okay, probably they sell pizza during the day, and in the evening it's a venue. 
No, like we loaded our shit while families were eating pizza that night. Yeah. And they were like, what the fuck are these guys doing? It's like, yeah, you can't start soundcheck. I'm like, <laughs> there's families eating pizza there. Are you sure? It's like, yeah, okay, go ahead. And then this Italian dude goes, oh, you're from Europe. Oh, yes. Oh, I, uh, I love Europeans. And I was like, hey, this guy, like he's half Italian. And you were like, what? No, wait. And what, like, this guy gave us free food, and just, you were like, oh, cool, man. We never get food on these shows. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's like, man, that, yeah, this is like, that's, that's, that was the thing. Like, on that tour, that was like, that was like halfway between us being like a legitimate band in the United States, too, man. Cause it was like, yeah. still, those tours are very much just like anodyne tours for the most part, where it's half of the yeah. shows, there was like five people at them, and then some shows, there was, you know, 20, and that was cool, you know? Yeah, and we're playing yeah. these random spots like pizza places and basements and pool halls and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. We, so we we arrived at the venue and it's just like, oh yeah, you have time. Like you can load like in an hour or something. And I remember I walked around because I was never normal Illinois. I I, I checked it as like a student, like some student city or something. And there was a secondhand record shop. And I went through that, and I think I met, I think Carson was in there too, and Andrew, and at some point Benny walked in there too. And they're like, okay, this is the vinyl thing. And I'm like, oh, buying vinyl on this tour, like taking it home on a plane is always a mess. And talking to that guy, he's like, oh, yeah, we've got a lot of tapes upstairs. I'm like, oh, cool, man. I love tapes. Yeah. So I went upstairs, and they had like this wall full of tapes. Remember, like these old wall of tapes where you can browse through them. Yeah. And it ended up they ended up having um, the don't uh, don't tell a soul tape, and it was like oh replacements. I remember that band, and that's probably because the artwork is black and gray. It looks like a fucking dark wave record. It's the only replacement record that actually looks like dark music. The others have like goofy artworks <laughs> for the most part you're, you're right i think yeah stink stink has yeah. as a very very punk like look to it the ep you know stink right yeah yeah but it's like the darkest definitely and so like i'm like cool what's it like five uh, no four bucks or three bucks it was i'm like cool i'll take that one and i got like a bunch of other tapes i got like a few sets of nephilim tape and i got a mission tape i still have them here I, i'm looking at them actually right now and this is like, I still treasure that one tape. And that was like, I went home and put it in my tape deck. And I mean, that's the time when they were already like a pop band. Yeah. But something, something with songs like Anywhere is Better Than Here, just like the name itself. And that's what I felt like most of my life. It's like, I don't belong here. It's like, I, like Anywhere is Better Than Where I'm right now, right now. I mean, even songs like Talent Show, which are like kind of goofy lyrics. But still, it caught me, man, and I love this to this day. This is my I'm stuck in traffic and I hate driving right now tape or music. It's like I put on the Don't Tell Us So and it soothes me. And that was my introduction to the replacements. And I remember like when we met up at pizza, that, that, that Firehose Pizza, shout out to this place if it's still alive. I don't know. <laughs> it's like I saw a like, dude like this is my tape hall. And they were like, oh, cool, man. Fields, Mission, and oh, replacements. I love that, man. It's like. Cool. So that's on that tour. I got my first replacement music ever. That that's you know that that's of the post Bob Stinson era. That that's actually probably their best one. I think I, I like that record yes. too. It's got uh, Merry Go Round, and you mentioned Talent yeah. Show. 
Yeah. And there's always like a lyric on that one song that haunts me, man, where he's like empty seat in the front in the first row or the front row. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck, dude. It's like that's like the seat his girlfriend was supposed to sit in and they broke up and she's not there. You know what I mean? It's like Yes. It, it makes me think of that. And that's like such a a, a successful powerful piece of writing you know it's almost like yeah. it's almost Hemingway-esque in the way that he wrote that line and I've always that's yeah. that line has always resonated me it's like it's always haunted me all these years about who was supposed to be sitting in that empty seat you know like that kind of thing yeah it's and that's the same thing with Bastards of Young about like being in a band and yeah. like not 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 only up like like uh, um, God what a mess on the ladder of success which is like yeah, that's like that's your biography, man. It's like playing a show in New York where like three major label guys come up and you're like they're announced to show up because they want to sign you and give you like the money you always think you deserve and you go on piss drunk on speed like even like more stuff and you play a shitty karaoke version of like blues covers. What do you expect will happen, man? And it's just like they sabotage themselves. So like yeah, God, what a mess on the ladder of success. That's, for me, is like, this is the biography. And Trouble Boys, that's also just like such a perfect name. These guys were trouble all the time. Yeah, you know, and that just goes back to what I was saying about him being like this kind of punk Bukowski, you know, like his, I, I always, I, I would love to, if, if Westerberg could ever pull it together to, to write something, you know, like an actual yeah. writing, like text, That'd be cool. You know, I'd, I'd be interested yeah. to hear what that guy would write. But uh, the way I discovered the replacements was, uh, it was interesting. It was, um, I was in high school and, uh, you know, I was, I was always in like all the advanced classes, you know, in school, like, you know, advanced placement, chemistry, biology, math and all that and English as well. And my whole life, I've always embraced the written word. You know, I've always loved reading. I've always loved writing. And I considered myself to be like this kind of, uh, you know, a good writer, you know, for the most part. So I got to AP English and um, this guy, Mr. Treza, had we, the, the curriculum had this very rigid sentence structure. You had to follow these rules in writing. And I was like capable of doing those things. But, uh, you know, being... Uh, you know, just at that point in my life, I was starting to, uh, dis you know, discover the dark, pa the left-hand path, you know, and I was, uh, I wanted to be a goat, you know, and fucking go against the grain. So I wrote the way I wanted to write. I would write the right way, quote unquote, and I would also write my way. And I ended up being removed from the class. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was devastated. I fucking hated this guy. I'm like, man, who the fuck do you think you are, man? Like throwing me out of this class, whatever. I'm like, I'm a... <laughs> I'm a 4.0 like student and you can't do this to me, you know, whatever. So I ended, I ended up going into like the regular English class with everyone. And that was my junior year. And my senior year, um, my locker was right next to Mr. Trez's homeroom class. And, you know, I, he was one of the, he was an interesting guy. Like he was an English teacher, um, but he was way into music, like very very much into contemporary music at the time and he knew that i played in bands and he knew that i was into music and i was like and it probably bummed him out that he had to like give me bad grades because he was probably like yeah i know i gotta teach this thing you know this kid obviously you know doesn't want to follow the rules so I, I have no choice you know 
So one day we were, you know, we would talk about music all the time. He would ask me about, oh, you know, what, you know, you're in a band, like, you know, what are you guys doing? Like, what do you guys sound like? I gave him demo, like practice tapes that we made in my, our basement in my parents' house. And, and, um, and then one day he, he, he realized I was getting ready to graduate and I'd already been accepted to Boston University. And he's like, oh, you, you know, I, congratulations, you know, whatever. And then he gave me this cassette tape that had, um, the replacement's Tim on one side, and the other side was the Del Fuego's Boston Mass record. Okay. Wow. Now that's a good tape. Yeah, he gave me that. He gave me the Del Fuego, the thing for the Del Fuegos, because he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, you know, you're going to Boston. These guys are a local band. They just put this record out. You know, they had like the uh, the Don't Run Wild like hit. You know, for them. Uh-huh. And uh, he's like, yeah, and then you know, if you like them, you'll probably like this other band, the Replacements. Right. So I was <laughs> like. I was like, oh, thanks, man. So I'd go home and I'd, I'd listen to, to uh, you know, um, the Del Fuego's record because they had a video on MTV. I and remember, then, yeah. Yeah, and then I was like, that's pretty cool. You know, maybe I'll see them when I go to Boston, you know, like my go to school up there. But then I listened to the replacement side and it hit me hard, like, like a, a ton of bricks, man. I was like, man, this is like, this is what it's all about, man. This is like, you know, and at the time I was into like Black Flag, the Ramones, Dead Kennedys, you know, I was in, you know, Slayer and Metallica were, were part of my listening. And um, I wasn't really into that kind of stuff per se, you know, it wasn't really like, yeah. but that was like, it changed the way I started seeing music, I guess. And I think around that time I started listening to R.E.M. as well, like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Reckoning was, was the big record. And I think... The Smiths, how soon is now? Video was something I started seeing and being, oh, this is kind of cool, you know. Now the song "Kiss Me on the Bus," okay, that was the big song for me, and it's a funny story. And this is almost like a replacement song. There was there's a young a young lady that uh, we were in homeroom together. We had the same last name, okay. I'm going to refrain from from presenting her full name, okay. Mm. Uh, just in case anyone knows her and I don't want to embarrass anybody, you know, or, or, you know, she's got probably kids and married and all this other stuff. So anyway, we had the same last name and that one fact stopped me from embracing this like incredibly intense attraction that we, we had with each other. And we sat across from next to each other every day in a homeroom. We took the, she lived like not far from me. And like, we took the bus together. We sat next to each other on the bus all the time. And I was like, I, I was always inches away from trying to like, you know, start a some kind of like youth youthful relationship with her. And then, um, and that song always reminded me of her because we were on the bus together all the time, going to school in the morning and at night. Well, at night usually I I had like wrestling practice, so I would take I wouldn't take the the return trip but most of the year. Um, and then like yearbook time came around and she wrote, she's like, she wrote something in my book. And she's like, Oh, don't re- read it when you get home or whatever. And I was just like something about how, like, you know, you know, she wished that we could have had this. Like, and I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> man. You know, it's like a replacement song. So, Oh man, that whole like storyline really connected me to that record, man. And, 
I mean, that that's it's a great record, but it, it's also a very unusual, has a very peculiar sound to it as well, don't you think? Yeah. Like yeah, the, for, uh, totally. The production's yeah. weird on that record, right? Yeah, but that was before they really started caring about this or having actually like, good people to work on that. I think it was supposed to be the guy, like the guitar, like Peter Buck, is that the guitar player of REM? Yes, like, Peter Buck, yeah. I think, yeah, I think he was supposed to record it, and then they didn't have their songs together, and they recorded with someone else, yeah. And, I mean, they found their sound later on, whereas Who's Good Do, they, they had their, like, chorus-y kind of sound away from the get-go. Yeah, yeah well, Who's Good were guys who, like, yeah, you, know, you can tell that they had like a way more focused approach to their music, you know, and and like yeah. you know they probably had like the the amps they wanted, and you know the guitars were all set up yeah. the right way. They played in tune every night, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the replacements didn't give a shit. Whatever's there, they just use it. <laughs> yeah, they probably barely only one guy probably knew how to tune the tune a guitar. You know, probably Bob Stinson was the only guy who really knew how to tune yeah. his instrument. And he tuned everyone yeah. else's shit, and they just went on stage, and that was it. They probably didn't even check yeah. their tuning at all. I mean, I feel, I feel like read these stories about their tour days and like having a driver, and then they're like two days into the tour, they're already like throwing piss bottles in the van so they explode, and everyone, <laughs> everything is smelly. Just open the window and throw out like a head. And something is like, <laughs> yeah. dude, you're you're on tour, man. So like, they're the epiphany of like this these sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like even the, I mean, mostly they didn't have sex, but they did like the drug thing and the rock and roll thing, destroying hotel rooms, getting sued, getting kicked out of radio stations. I mean, everybody that's like, I don't know, the you guys out there, if you're not familiar with the replacements, you gotta like find out about the our the Saturday Night Live story about the replacements, which is like also so typical for this band. Do you know that story, Mike? Oh yeah, that's that's a famous one, man. Yeah, they were they were yeah. banned from Saturday Night Live. You can you can actually find their performance online, I think, somewhere. Yeah, it's like being re- like the replacement again for the Pointer Sisters <laughs> in the episode. It was January of '86, where Harry Dean Stanton of all people was the host. That's what the a perfect, great episode! Perfect man. host for them, definitely. <laughs> totally, and so they got like asked because one of the staff members was a fan of of, of the replacements, and Lauren Michaels said like, "Okay, let's have them play." And they did sound check and they were too loud. They were told, like, okay, keep it down and play these two songs. We want to hear them. They're like, okay, cool. But then, like, like, uh, like um, Westerberg said in his biography, he's like, yeah, well, and then there was a fridge full of alcohol and we had a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> and then they get out, like, Bob Stinson missed the solo in Bastards of Young. And then they, you could see Bob Stinson saying, no, no, uh, Westerberg's like, fuck and you're not allowed by that time like i mean you're still not allowed to say fuck i guess on saturday night life but like lauren michaels afterwards was pissed and was like you're never coming back here <laughs> yeah i wonder if they fired um, the guy who was uh the fan <laughs> i'd be interested to know that probably you know yeah yeah but yeah man like crazy times and you do you think like there's I don't know, like Jay Retard was kind of like maybe one of like a band like this and he's dead already. But do you think like there are still bands out there like this, like GGL or the replacements or stuff like this? I, I don't know, man. I mean, people uh, care too much about what other people think about them these days. I mean, may, maybe on some subterranean, like, you know, local scene, there's a bunch of fuck ups who play in a band that that are awesome. But they don't. Re- these days you can't you can't do shit like that and succeed. 
people will like ostracize you for being like, you know, whatever, whatever thing they want to pigeonhole you as these days, wow. you'll become that thing. And that'll be the new thing that like, okay, you're not allowed to be yeah. part of this anymore because you guys got drunk and yell profanities at someone or whatever, you know? It's also like, totally agree. Like that was also when I read, when I listened to that dead guy episode, your boy, like what's, what's his name again? Keith, Keith Hawkins. Keith. Yeah. Yeah. Keith. Keith said like when they talked about black metal, I can't listen to like this lo-fi black metal stuff. And then like you guys talked about, it's like, it's sheer, like you have to really work on your programs right now to make it sound like this. It's not like back then they just had a tape deck to record. Now they record like high quality and they have to make it sound like shit. And I think it's like kind of the same thing. If people right now go out and like, oh, we're going to be a band like the replacements and blah, blah, blah. Of course they're like, I know a bunch of bands that are like way into drugs and like losing their shit. But like on the level like this, it, it must be forced nowadays. I don't, I, I don't think like bands like this can still in society today come out and be like this, just like as a natural thing. Yeah, actually, just speaking to the recording quality aspect of things, it's almost like harder to make a bad sounding recording these days <laughs> yeah, than it is to yeah. make an awesome sounding recording, especially with all the tools that are available, like just, you know, yeah. online you know i mean i can make a demo th- to this morning after we're done i could record a, a demo by myself yeah. on my computer that sounds like it could be ready to be released as a as a full-length release you know yeah sure and that's like where when i like from sound wise i gotta say like the replacements they're not they didn't sell out but i mean at some point bob stinson was kicked out or left so it's still debatable because like he didn't want to like go the direction that the replacements were going in, but like um, the influences of Paul Westover was clearly not punk rock or rock music. Like he wanted to go into the solely kind of pop music thing, more like I guess more in the vein of like also bands like Afghan Wakes, where you have like this indie funky sound in it. Um, but they like the I mean, especially if you listen to Don't Tell a Solo all shook up, they're like really cleanly produced, really tight and but like up until the last record of Who's Could You, they always had the chorus and the guitar. It was way distorted. I mean, if you listen to the early stuff, it's like the Landspeed record or like the really old stuff is hard to listen to. But also Zen Arcade still has like this crunchy or New Day Rising has like this crunchy almost too distorted kind of sound to be as pop as they were. And I mean, Candy Apple Grey and Flippy Week, they were more clean, but they were still more rockers than the replacement stuff in the end. Yeah, I just think that with Westerberg, like, like he's just one of those guys, like, uh, was a singer-songwriter at heart. And yes. the band was like this vehicle for him to tell his stories. So it was only natural, I think, that as they got more successful and more uh, budget and resources were made available to them to produce their music that it went in the direction it did. Because, I mean, you know, after doing two or three records of just raucous, you know, sloppy punk rock music, I, I imagine, okay, cool, we, we, we've done that. Now we want to do something else. We have all these resources. We have, you know, labels, major label money. Why not make it sound good? You know, have like a better production, like add... You know, there's other instruments on there, like like you know keyboards and you know horns and stuff like that. And um, yeah, yeah it, it was natural. And with Husker Du, I think their their intention was always to make uh, an awesome sounding album. 
You know what I mean? I, like yeah. similar to Black Flag. Like you know, I remember reading um, you know recollections of the In My Head record, and Greg Ginn working with Spot and telling him to make it sound like a, a Dio Black Sabbath album. You know, he's like <laughs> yeah. they had they had like Last in Line or something as a a being it with the mixes. And he's like, yeah, I want it to sound like like this this fucking heavy metal album. And it's like, yeah, because he was a guy who operated in the punk scene, but wanted like the best quality available. And I feel like Husker do were of that mindset that they just were limited by whatever resources they had available to them. And as time went on, and you know, they were they had their major label things going on too that they were able to work in better studios with better engineers with better equipment. And it just made sense for them to that. That's the yeah. one thing I, I never really liked about the punk attitude where it's like, you know, they fall in love with this aesthetic, but yeah, you might like that. And that might be cool. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the same way. I like listening to like, like raw, brutal recordings, but also it's like, man, yeah. like if as a musician, it's like, I always want stuff to sound great, you know? And I never want yeah. it to be like, yeah, this sounds like I recorded it in like a hallway somewhere. You know, I, I, I never want that unless it's just a demo or something. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and to this day, Bob Mould released Blue Hearts last year. It's a great record, and he still got it, and he still got his sound aesthetics. He can still write lyrics. Paul Westerberg, he's he became quite silent. I would be cool to hear new stuff from him. But yeah, both bands, I think we covered like most grounds before we talk about their underwear or something. We should maybe just like finishing it up with our favorite songs. Should we do that? Actually, one one thing. How did you find Husker Du? We talked about how you discovered oh, okay. uh, Replacements. So how did you find Husker right. Du? Um, classic way, like how I discovered a lot of bands was because a band that I like covered them. Huh. And there's this there's this band Therapy from Ireland who were like kind of indie darlings in this alternative rock kind of thing 93 94 they had this record Trouble Gum which was a big success and on Trouble Gum they covered Isolation by Joy Division so I found out about Joy Division through them and uh, on the next next record they had like their hit was a cover version of Diane oh wow okay in, in this in this really Nick Cave kind of uh, murder ballads kind of way. So with strings and like this deep voice and like this chorus repeating like Diane. And I was blown away by that song. And then it said like in the credits, it's a cover by that band Who's Could Do. And back then I still lived in Heppenheim, like with this small town, 25,000 souls were living there. And that like this music garage, it was called selling secondhand CDs and vinyl. And so I dug through like the punk rock bin and at some point I found uh, the Zen Arcade CD and that I, I bought that and I was confused because like the first few songs are so straightforward and great and then it becomes trippy and noisy just to get back in the like in the fold later on. But later I found it was a concept record, but the, the sound I just loved it. And like to this day, I think like uh, with something I learned today as an opener, this is kind of my favorite Who's Could Do moments. That's why I got to meet them. How about you? As, as I mentioned earlier, like when I was in high school, uh, you know, I was, you know, doing my metal thrash, you know, hardcore punk thing. And I was also at the same time towards my senior year, I was discovering like the Smiths and, you know, and I had a, I had a, you know, a, a girlfriend at that point that was, uh, 
into like goth and all that. So I was discovering, you know, the cure and, you know, joy division and Bauhaus and all that. And then, uh, also that's through like an interview I heard with Michael Stipe of all people, you know, I was on USA, mm-hmm. uh, night flight. He was talking about American music, right? And, you know, he was, you know, typical eighties, Michael Stipe with like the long hair. He was talking, mm. but he wasn't looking at the camera. He was like looking off to the left somewhere, you know. And <laughs> and he mentioned all these bands, and he mentioned you know the Minutemen and Husker Du, right? Oh yeah. And I was like Husker Du, hmm. Okay, I remember seeing that name in the SST catalog, and mm. uh, you know, like you know, guys, back in the eighties, you could I couldn't just go to my computer and type in Husker Du and have it like their entire catalog pop up. I had to actually find mm. a record you know, somewhere oh. or order it or mail order it, you know, or something like that. So I'm like, who's could do? So that name stuck in my head. And then on that same show with the interview with Stipe, they played uh, the video for don't want to know if you're lonely. Right. Oh, cool. And I was like, man, this, that's, that's a fucking cool song. It's got this like distorted guitar. It's like kind of fast. Oh. It's got this cool, like vocal thing going on. So when I, that was the night that I left, the night, my last night living with my parents. The next day, they, um, drove, they drove me to Boston to go to start my freshman year of college. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. I go to Boston. I uh, talk to my RA, you know, like my uh, you know, resident assistant or whatever. I'm on the floor I was living in in the dorm. And I'm like, so where, you know, where, where, the, where the cool kids go, man? Like, where's all the, the punks, you know, where's where's the cool stuff for like cool kids, you know, like the record stores, where's all that shit. So she's like, yeah, yeah. You know, let's go here, go here, go there. You could take the train and go, you know, like 10 minutes up and you go to this other area and they have other stuff there. So I remember going to, um, uh, this place called in your ear, which is a, a record store on Commonwealth Avenue. And I don't know if it's there anymore, honestly. And, um, I went in there you know, they had like uh, Live Undead by Slayer. They had the Sam Hain, uh, you know, Sam Hain records. And then I saw it, they had the Husker Du section and I bought Zen Arcade, which nice. I'm like, this is the one everyone's talking about, man. So let me check this out. So I remember getting, I'm pretty sure I got a Sam, I, don't, I forgot which Sam Hain record it was, but I got a Sam Hain record and I got Husker Du Zen Arcade. And then I wow. went, went back to my dorm room. And listen to both of the records. And, you know, my, my roommate was a total square. So he, you know, went out somewhere else to, know, <laughs> like, fucking, you know, whatever. Wrote, do, wrote, row a boat or something on the Charles River or whatever the hell. Guys <laughs> do, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, and that was, like, the beginning of my, like, you know, deep, deep appreciation of Who's Do. Because, you know, like, I, yeah, I, I, I like punk hardcore metal but i also like when stuff goes into this like weird experimental phase even even at that young age you know because i before i listened to like hardcore and punk i was way into like you know king crimson and yes and you know jethro tall and all this stuff which was for for classic rock that music was pretty experimental and progressive so when i saw that stuff emerging inside of like hardcore i was like man this is like exactly the kind of stuff that i'm into there's like these trippy parts there's you know beyond the threshold is on that record which is like a raging fucking song and it kind of had a full spectrum and ever since then i think i've been all in with who's could do and and um 
you know that Zen Arcade and uh, and New Day Rising are probably my two favorite albums by them. Yeah, what a, I agree. Yeah, man, two cool bands, really cool bands. Hell yeah. 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 So um, so yeah, if you want you want to run through some of our favorite tracks, you know, we'll, we'll put these on our playlist, man. Yes. Yeah, it's like, uh, so what should we, should we do first? Husker do? Because he's just talking yeah, about Yeah, we'll just do, do Husker first, man. So, what what are your favorites? Well, I, I got a, a pretty good list here. I got uh, Everything Falls Apart. In a, this is actually in chronological order, more or less. Um, in a Free Land. Uh, statues. Do You Remember... Beyond the Threshold, which is a song that, uh, you know, that's, uh, I, I was listening, actually, it's funny, I, uh, I wrecked my car when I was, when I was, uh, when, when I moved to Boston, I was not getting very much sleep, because I was starting a band, and, uh, you know, I was working at some ungodly hour, and I had to be, it's, and I, I, I had a car accident, and I was listening to this beat, that, this song, when I was actually having the, in the middle of the accident, Beyond the Threshold. <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> okay, and uh, so anyway, that that's funny. Uh, I'll never forget you, which uh, Anodyne covered. Uh, oh, big, you did? Yeah, yeah. It's on. It's on that uh, that discography that I put out years ago. Oh man! Yeah, it was on a demo, yeah. our first demo. So uh, I could send you that stuff. You know, actually, oh, I don't. Nice. I don't. I don't sing the song. L L sang that song. The originally. Oh, okay. Originally, I did very little singing in Anodyne. Okay. Um, the Biggest Lie, Somewhere, The Girl Who Lives on Heaven Hill, Celebrated Summer, incredible song, 59 yeah. Times of Pain, Makes No Sense at All, Don't Want to Know If You're Lonely, classic. Yes. And Sorry Somehow. Well, yeah, we got the same same stuff covered here. Got, like, <laughs> that's that's yeah, funny. Of course. Um Oddly enough, like 59 Times the Pain is also a Swedish hardcore band named after that song. Yes. Like from that realm of Refused and Breach and all these bands. And one of my favorite songs is Pink Turns to Blue, which is also like a German death rock band, like goth band. I, I always wanted to tell you about like, Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm from, I know about them, actually. Yeah. yeah. So like Pink Turns to Blue. My favorite song will always be Girl Who Lives on Heaven Hill. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something I learned today, like, of course, and uh, don't want to know if you're lonely is like the hit. And I got a real soft sport for so- Sorry Somehow. It's just like this, this, this chorus is just so good. Yeah, it's like mostly like the same, like the list you have, they're all my songs are in there and a bunch more. It's like, yeah, I, I like spec that. Don't want to know if you're lonely is probably there. I, I would say probably their most you know, high profile, famous song. I think most people know that song by them. Yeah, it is definitely most definitely. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's see for the replacements. Should I start this time? Yeah, you do it this time. We probably got the same tracks anyway. So go ahead. Uh, I I would assume the same. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Favorite song of all time, the ledge. It's their saddest song. And you know, I'm like an emo wimp. So like I go for the sad songs. Um, unsatisfied. It's just like this. Uh, okay, so you write a song with just like one sentence as a lyric, and it's still the saddest song you can write. Um, Bastards of Young, 
answering machine, what a story. Like, mm -hmm. tell your loved one on a, like on an answering machine that you missed them. Um, uh, here comes the regular. Anywhere's better than here. My life oh, yeah. motto. Mm -hmm. And talent show. And I gotta say, I love the cover version of Kiss's Black Diamond. Oh, hell That's yeah, awesome. man. That's sick. Yeah, yeah, I love that one. Yeah, that would be like my small list. I could go on, but I keep it slim. Uh, uh, mine's not so slim so <laughs> all right <laughs> <It's> like, yeah <laughs> so uh go, go off of stink yes that's like the beginning really if you think about like you know that song was like a precursor to what was to come later in the band's career i think absolutely yes yeah uh color me impressed off of hoot nanny i always thought that was like a, a very clever song you know yeah and in and in uh heather's you know, there's a lot of references to to um to the replacements. You know, the the, the mm -hmm. fine uh, film featuring uh the uh you know the, the sublime um Winona Ryder. You know, I think uh, guys yes. from my age bracket, she's like a heartthrob. You know, mm -hmm. and, you know they the, they they say uh, color me impressed in that movie. So, mm -hmm. um okay, uh within your reach. Off of oh, yeah, and yeah. also referencing Say Anything, which is another great, you know, eighties film, you know. Yeah. I will dare off of Let It Be. On you know, you cover oh, it, yeah. you know, Unsatisfied, you know, Sixteen Blue, great song. Another Let It Be. Hold My Life off of Tim. Of course, Kiss Me on the Bus. You know, shout yeah, out to my <laughs> uh, unrequited love to my uh twelfth grade sweet uh not sweetheart, but you know, <laughs> hey, we we were Ships traveling through the night, you know. <laughs> Bastards of Young, which you covered, and uh, Left of the Dial. Oh yeah. And there's that line read about your band in some local page. Didn't mention your name. I always thought that was like, I don't know. It's like I, I always thought that line had such a heaviness to it. You know, like oh yeah, you know they didn't say anything about you. You know they talked about your band, but they didn't say anything about you. You know. Yeah. And it's, isn't it like replacements is like the band for touring guys like us, yeah. like grinding and never gaining like actual, like, of course we are successful in this small realm, but like grinding and grinding and still in the end, it doesn't matter for yeah. some people. <laughs> totally. You know, it's like, you know, it's like I, I, I thought about um, a point in my distant past where there, I, I, there was like a bank teller back when you had to deal with people on face to face that I used to flirt with all the time. And, and like, I told her I was in a band and, and it was like, I would see her all the time because I had to cash my check every week, you know? And, and it was like, <laughs> oh yeah, if I, I, I read about your band, but they didn't say anything about you. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, that was weird, you know? <laughs> Random story. Um, <laughs> Little Mascara off of Tim. And oh, I always yeah. thought cool. this, this was, once again, hearkening back to high school. There's a line. All you ever wanted was someone mom mom would be scared of, right? Yeah. Now, my girlfriend in high school, her parents were terrified of me because I was some weirdo <laughs> with, like, funny hair and, like, all black clothes and into fucking darkness and evil and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> um, Alex Chilton, of course. Uh, yes. That's one of your, your songs you like, too. Valentine. Yeah, Valentine off also off of please to meet me and they have that one infectious line on that song if you were a pill I'd take a handful at my will 
and knock you back with something sweet and strong. (sighs) So fucking heavy, man. And just like, just like, like I said, a a Bukowski-esque line in some ways. Yeah. You know, and, and it's just that touches on just that obsessively almost self-destructive nature of love you know what i mean and uh that line yeah. always stuck with me so yeah that's that's yeah. my list um good one i oh, mean i've got like like this all my songs are in there pretty much and way more it's like i mean they've got both bands have such a fucking great catalog there's like no stink almost no stinkers in there i mean i never go for the goofy ones like gary's got a boner or something yeah, yeah but they can but but they own it man it's just like like some bands they try to be like cheeky and funny in between like serious songs it's just whack but like listening to a replacement song it's like ironically funny especially if you love the backstory of them like being fuck all this music business shit like we do whatever we want and it's like 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 they set themselves like they're the best and the worst band at the same time life. And I, I appreciate this. I can listen to it and don't have to skip it. I think it's funny that they actually included black diamond on a, on a legitimate like LP release. You know what I mean? Incredible, man. Yeah. (laughs) totally. (laughs) So out there. That actually is one of my favorite kiss songs too, by the way. Yeah, it is. I mean, Kiss, Kiss has that big catalog. I'm not a huge Kiss fan, but like next to maybe God of Thunder, like I think Black Diamond is one of the like one of the classic rock songs in a way. Kiss, like if you grew up in like New York, New Jersey, you know, area like like I did, you kind of <laughs> there's there's certain bands you have to like, I guess, and Kiss is one yeah. of them. And you know, Twisted Sister would be the other band uh, that you mm. you just. Twisted Sister is especially if you if you didn't grow up in New York City, like if you grew up in the suburbs, like me, like yeah. twi- Twisted Sister were like heroes almost to us growing up in, in the late '80s and you know '90s and stuff like that. So because you you weren't going to take it, right? I wasn't. I was not going to take it. That's exactly right. Yeah. But just to let you know, man, um, they have. Like, they actually were kind of like these underground heroes, and they have, like, a bunch of stuff that came out that before they were on a major label, like demos and, like, independent yeah. releases. That's actually pretty good. It's, like, really good music. I'll listen to it to this day and be like, yeah. you know, it's, it's awesome. You know, it's really good stuff, you know. But, dude, it's also, like, these kind of bands are, like, they're typical touring bands for me. Like, on tour, listening, but if someone puts on, like, a, like a wasp record or a twisted sister it's like always a like kind of cringy but then it's like it's enjoyable it's just cool fucking rock songs yeah and you can like it's just enjoyable to everybody i mean like our drummer like when he drives there's always going to be like i don't know discordance access asset <laughs> stuff like this and we're like oh dude like we're on a metal tour and we're playing with metal bands and now you have to play this stuff it's like for a while but like this is like this the stuff like some like replacements is always great in a touring band and it's always like bands like Twisted Sister and also like especially Kids like no one is offended it's easy to digest and, and it's just cool to like tag along. Yeah. Well, you know, I um, I unironically like Wasp's first couple records, so you don't have to sell me I, I a Wasp. That. You know, it, it's, no, just, I, it's funny because I we were on we were like on tour in the south somewhere and we were. We, yeah, it was after the show, and our bass player knew this dude that we were going to stay with. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, you can, we have a clean clean place to stay. You guys don't have to get a hotel tonight. I'm like, cool. So we're, we went to this, like, uh, 
like a bar, restaurant, pub kind of place afterwards to get some food and whatever after the show. And, uh, you know, uh, Animal comes on by, by Wasp. No, oh, man. And I'm like, fuck yeah, this is great, man. And the dude's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this guy's is really funny. And I'm like, I, I was like, I, I, want, I got so offended by that. I'm like, what do you mean? I like this fucking song, man. That's not funny. But it actually is kind of funny, though. That's the thing. It's like this weird circular logic where it wasn't funny to me, but the song actually is kind of funny. If you think about yeah. it, the lyrics in that song are ludicrous. And to, to go back to the ongoing topic we all have, do, do you think this song could be released nowadays without repercussions? Unfortunately, I think it cannot be released these days without <laughs> them being like fucking crucified by some, you know, someone, you know, and, and that's sad to me, you know, Yeah. but then they again, would, like, you, have, I'm sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? Maybe they would like release a song. I want to have consensual sex after talking about it, like <laughs> to adults. That would be the song today. That would, that would be the new song. But you know what's funny though? Even despite despite all of this like political correctness to taken to the nth extremity, um, Terrifier Two is going to be released this year. That the okay. horror film. Have you seen Terrifier? No, no, oh, I didn't. Oh man, dude. It's it's okay. It's um, I, I if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. If you're into extreme nihilistic horror, okay, check it out. It's like Art the Clown is in it. He's like the the slasher character. It's like yeah, okay. a, a totally brutal, no holds barred, like exploration of violence in, in, okay. in a modern slasher setting. You know, and it, and it features a character, Art the Clown. And it's a fucking brutal, terrifying movie. And, so uh, almost like... Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No. And there's there's some very, very, very politically upsetting <laughs> uh, content in the film, too. That, that someone who is, uh, you know, who's very far into uh, caring about what other people think and virtue signaling and triggers and all this stuff is going to be very, very offended, appalled by this movie. So, okay, so I, I have to watch that now. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to make a real bad joke. Like, if, 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 it, if it is halfway as brutal and deep and dark as Malignant, so... <laughs> no, that, well, that, you know, I know how, everyone knows how I feel about that movie, so that was, that was garbage, <laughs> I thought. So the sequel's coming out this, um, this, this fall, I believe, man. I think any, any week now, Terrifier 2 is coming out, and... Um, yeah, I think I told you I went to a bunch of horror conventions over the last few weeks. Yes. And uh, dude, they they have the bit. They're they're the stars, man. There's they they have the longest lines for signings. You know, it, it, people are embracing it. So I think that's like a uh, a good sign that people aren't afraid of dark yeah. stuff. You know, and then to go into like cool. these uh, you know recesses. You know, so that's good. That's nice. Cool. I will check that one out. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah, So that that's it, man. That's uh, that was an epic, I think. You know. Yeah. I wonder if, like, if except for maybe Brand Legions, if anyone is still listening by this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you got a really long drive, I think this will help you get through it. You know. But yeah. 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 Shout out to Brandon. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, 
let me let me close this off with I think something you don't know, like which is like a funny, funny thing. It's like it, it ties so much into my life and I just found it out about this last week doing research. Did you know that Bob Mould in the nineties was a writer for WCW wrestling? Oh my god, dude, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, he was actually wow. man. He's a writer. He wrote for TV. And for a brief stint for like three years, he's a pro wrestling fan. And like in the heyday of, of like WCW when they were competing with WWF, he was actually a writer for TNT, for Ted Turner, uh, for the WCW program. And he's a big pro wrestling fan. I would have <laughs> never like guessed so that, man. I would have never guessed that. Never. But it's so fucking makes makes him even more likable. But I think he's really one of like interviews with him. He seems to be a really nice person now. Yeah. Always been a big fan of his. I, I've always, I liked, you know, I, I listened to all of his material, you know. He had that solo album, Black Sheets of Rain, which was awesome. He had the, uh, yeah. you know, the stuff he did with Sugar was great. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm a big Bob Mould fan. And um, yeah. Oh, real quick about wrestling. Thanks for uh, recommending that podcast to me with uh, CM Punk. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, cool, cool episode, right? He's, he also seems like to be a, like, straightforward, cool dude. Yeah, yeah definitely. Now that Heels thing, what is that? Is that a movie or a TV show or like some Netflix? That's a thing? show. It's, it's a show on Stars. And okay. It has um, it has that guy that played Arrow, I think, and he's he's the main character, and it's pretty much like Friday Night Lights, but set in like a rural town about like a regional wrestling re thing, and it's about like the what's it? It's not David Arquette. It's David something. David Schwimmer is also not David Schwimmer, but like that guy that played Arrow. He's like the main guy and he's the writer and he and his brother are like the, the stars in that scene. And their father was the star before them, but he committed suicide and left them like broken. Oh, wow. And they, then they try to get by and CM Punk was hired. Like he was cast as the main figure first, but then the like stars dropped the idea of that show. And then they got it back and got like this, this guy like to play the main character. But they asked CM Punk to be like Rick Rabies, like an old, retired wrestler kind of like the wrestler with mickey rourke yeah like who who and because of his knowledge and he's like in that show and he's doing a great job and now they also have mick foley who's like a wrestling legend and it's cool man it's like there's like six episodes out and it's like it's like a drama um if you've been to like these rural parts of America, you I mean sure you were and I mean we played like this Popeye Popeye store like in uptown New York somewhere. Kind of that vibe, like rednecks going to a wrestling show and barbecuing outside on the parking lot and shit like this. But it's got a kick really gritty, dark vibe to it, really moody and I enjoy it a whole lot and yeah, man, CM Punk's like doing a good job acting. Well, I, I put that on my list of things just to look into and i wasn't sure if it was a movie or a show so you clear, show. You, uh, cleared that up for me now so i'm gonna go check it oh, out cool all right yeah it's uh the other well just real now i'm sorry but yeah. like anyone out there oh. you guys can check out if you want but it's like <laughs> about the wrestling stuff um the uh I was fascinated by all the different styles that they talked about, like Japanese style. Yeah. And I think he said like, like a, was it a, is there a Memphis style or something like that? Or a yeah. Tenant? yeah. Yeah. And I, I really didn't know about any of that stuff. And I thought that was interesting. 
yeah it's it's uh that's what i always thought like i mean people mostly see it as like oh it's goofy it's it's fake and blind that's what he talked about too is like some people will like punch you in the face for that like, and i mean it's people know wwf from the 80s and like wwe now and like goofy characters like john cena and yes they were like testosterone guys like in 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 like swimsuits or like in swim trunks and like oiling themselves up and throwing themselves around but people like this this backyard wrestling there's like these death matches where they're like barbed wire like in barbed wire cages and punching themselves with glass bulbs and shit like this so it's brutal stuff and like the memphis wrestling was really gritty and really hard hitting so it's not like okay so you will slap me then i will slap you then i'll put you like in a in a lock and then you will throw me in the they were just like going at it and i mean it was clear who's going to win these are the three moves that have to happen and there's a storyline but it was rough man and yeah so and cm punk is a total fan of the whole yeah of the whole business yeah yeah it's cool it's you know like i you know not not for any reason of no bias or anything like that i just never got into that like that style of wrestling really you know what i mean i just yeah. was never into it but i i am it's interesting to me and i think this show heels is going to be uh pretty cool it's going to be like a good thing for me to check out yeah i think so it's like it's easy to digest but it's cool it's well done it's good writing and it's cool as it, the filming is also cool it's i don't think it will be more than one season to be honestly uh, to be honest it might be, but it's it's cool for what it is. And I, I guess, like, especially if you're like, okay, I want to know a bit about this, like, how they proceed in this downtown wrestling things, I guess you will like it, yeah. Right on, man. That's I'm going to check it out this weekend, probably. All right, cool. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening, if you're still there. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we'll talk to you next week. Take care. <laughs>